one of the next pieces of drone technology that, that I would like to see is actually interaction with the rest of the system. It's really kind of the fusion of all of those areas of technology that I, I think is going to be the next step. Hello and welcome to another edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast, advancing the equipment manufacturing industry. I'm Dusty Weiss, AEM's professional nerd, world traveler, and podcast host. And in this edition, I want to talk about a technology that's poised to be a major disruption in the way that utility infrastructure gets inspected and repaired, automated drones. Not only is this important to note for companies that build the equipment that's traditionally used to maintain infrastructure, but the core concept that there are tasks that can be automated to increase efficiency and reduce human error is a rising trend in construction and ag. SkySpecs is a startup out of Michigan that's on the cutting edge of automating drones for this type of work, and we've got their CEO Danny Ellis for the whole show today. I met him at IQ this year. And the work that they're doing is incredibly cool. I can't wait to tell you about it. But I guess if there's a guiding star for this show, that's it. The point where new and cool intersects with info that you need to stay relevant as a manufacturer of construction and agricultural equipment. Every month here on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast, we're going to be exploring the topics that are going to change the way that equipment manufacturers do their business. So if you're an executive, an engineer, an innovator or just someone who likes to stay up to date on the latest trends in heavy equipment construction, agriculture, mining, and utilities, you should probably plan to check back often. Or you could save yourself the effort and subscribe to our podcast feed. That way, our new episodes are going to be there waiting each time you open your podcasting app. You can also follow AEM on Twitter at AEMAdvisor. And if you go to aem.org slash subscribe, you can sign up to get the AEM Industry Advisor in your email, which is a great source for other news and info from throughout the industry. A few recent news items from the advisor, how the adoption of 3D printing and construction could generate $40 billion in revenues by 2027. The president's infrastructure plan is taking shape, what it means for your company, and a Q&A with Todd Stuckey, the vice president of Kubota. Check out AEM.org slash news for more on these and other big stories in the industry. So back to the topic of today's show, unmanned aerial vehicles or drones, automation and artificial intelligence, and selling a service, not a product. These are three big trends that are poised to impact every corner of the construction and agriculture equipment industry. And today's guest finds himself at the intersection of all three of them. Danny Ellis is a former researcher at the University of Michigan and the CEO of a drone tech firm out of Ann Arbor. Welcome to the program. Danny, you've been on the cutting edge of unmanned aerial vehicle technology since about five years before anybody even really knew what a drone was. And your company, SkySpecs, is poised to change the way that utility companies go about inspecting and repairing their infrastructure. So, for starters, can you tell me what you do and how you do it? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me, Dusty. So SkySpecs is an automation company, and we focus on completely automating the data collection, reporting, and analytics of large energy infrastructure. Um, and the way we do that is through uh, autonomous drones. So we actually write all the software to automate a drone to fly in close proximity to a structure, uh, taking measurements, images, any sort of inspection uh, methods that, that it requires, and then we actually put all of that into a report, uh, which is on a web-based portal where our customers can interact with that data 
and uh, make better decisions about the repairs uh, on their assets. And our goal is really to uh, automate and streamline that entire process with uh, you know any form of robotics, artificial intelligence, and uh, you know machine learning that we can, and really just bring the kind of the, the data to life uh, for our customers. So for folks who aren't necessarily familiar with the inspection process for a lot of these utilities, this differs from the standard practices. How exactly? So the standard practices uh, range from uh, reactive maintenance, where uh, customers wait for something to fail and then they fix it, to uh, proactive, which is, is really kind of like a time-based method um, where you might do something annually, uh, to predictive, where you're actually making changes uh, to your assets based on, on the failures you're predicting. Prior methods of data collection span from anything from taking pictures from the ground to rope crews or large cranes. And, uh, you know, when we, when we uh, brought drones to the, the mix here, you can now get that data without anyone ever leaving the ground and without any safety concerns that you previously had, and also do it far faster, far more repeatable, and do it in a very measurable way. Um, so when we actually launch the drones, we have a, a laser scanner on board that is taking physical measurements uh, of the asset we're looking at, and then all that data is uh, a part of the reporting. So you now know exactly where that damage is, the size of that damage, and uh, you can track that over time to see if it's getting any worse. And so essentially what you're able to do is roll this whole process of inspecting this infrastructure uh, into one automated process. And as far as compressing the time frame that it takes to do these inspections, what sort of a, a time factor are you really able to cut out of that process? So a basic inspection um, could range anywhere from you know two to six hours of a typical wind turbine. And uh, we get that down to about 15 minutes. And so it's a significant time savings, and not only is it, is it faster, uh, you know, the day that you're there, but then actually getting the data turned around and into the hands of someone that's making a decision goes from months down to, you know, days or weeks. Uh, so it's actually it's compressing the time on the entire process. Maybe this is a pretty obvious question, but how's business? Yeah, business is, is going great. We uh, actually uh, just completed our first full year of commercial uh, operations both across North America and Europe, and uh, just closed a new round of uh, funding for $8 million. That's going to help us expand even further globally and, and deeper into the data analytics. How many folks do you employ? Uh, I couldn't even tell you. We're hiring so fast. Um, somewhere around 18 at the moment, but uh, we've been hiring about one a day here recently. So... It's changing all the time. Well, new faces are a good problem to have. And, of course, this is very interesting and very pertinent to our podcast here because it's been a hot topic in a lot of manufacturing circles. And this trend is just now starting to make its way into the heavy equipment manufacturing sector, uh, this trend of uh, providing services instead of products and predictive maintenance and all the like. But your company doesn't sell one single piece of hardware. Instead, you sell utility companies a service. What made you choose this business model, and what have the advantages been for you and your customers? It's really based on the fact that technology is changing so fast. You know, when we started this, uh, you know, drones looked completely different. Their capabilities were far less than they are today. And uh, we didn't want to have to resell new technology to these customers each and every year just to provide them better data. And so we found it to be a lot more streamlined to actually uh, sell them on, on the, really the decisions that they're making and, uh, you know, handle everything for them. In the early days, uh, we actually did try selling hardware. And then we get a lot of questions from customers like, oh, well, how do I fly it? How do I charge the batteries? You know, which camera should I buy to uh, put on the drone? And 
we realized, you know, these people in the utilities and the energy space, they're not drone experts like we are. And so we wanted to just handle the whole solution for them. They don't have to worry about regulations. They, they don't have to worry about anything related to the drone. They can now solely focus on, you know, what they're experts at inside of, uh, you know, the energy ecosystem. So say I've got a field of wind turbines I want inspected. I just call SkySpecs up and you guys show up and where do you take it from there? When someone schedules an inspection for us, we ship the equipment to the field and then uh, drone operators that are certified uh, in whatever country we're working in uh, will show up. They will take that drone and, and go tower to tower, um, putting it on the ground, uh, initiating the inspection. At that point, they don't do anything else. They, they just, uh, you know, monitor, make sure everything is going, uh, you know, going smoothly. And then, uh, you know, they charge the batteries in between flights and, uh, you know, kind of package it all back up and ship it back to us. The uh, wind farm uh, owner doesn't even necessarily need to be on site. Many times these wind turbines can be stopped uh, remotely. And so we just let them know which tower we're on at any given time, and, and they stop it for 15 minutes. We uh, do the inspection. They turn it back on, and we go to the next one. And so now the uh, the wind farm owner can just kind of sit back and wait, and then their data will be uh, you know on their desk uh, you know the week or two weeks later. And uh, they never actually had to even go to their own wind farm. That's really cool. So your business model right now is primarily focused on inspecting wind turbines. But do you see your company or some other company getting into this sphere using this technology and branching out into other types of infrastructure and inspections? Yeah, absolutely. So the fact that we're in wind turbines now is really just a point of focus. You know, we wanted to deliver a product of value to a particular uh, segment. Uh, but the technology is, is broadly applicable. So we're currently looking at other um, aspects of the energy market, but it, it could even be applied elsewhere outside of energy, uh, really in any infrastructure inspection application. Uh, for us, it really just comes down to, uh, you know, a need by the customers and uh, how much, how many resources and, and personnel we can dedicate to a problem uh, to make sure we can deliver the full value. So one of the things we try to avoid is, uh, you know, just giving technology to someone without a complete solution, um, which we've seen happen time and time again in the drone space. And, you know, they, they get a little frustrated if they aren't getting better decisions because it's not a complete solution. So when you offer a service-oriented business model with automated inspections and predictive maintenance and the like, what's in it for the customer? The biggest benefit that they're finding is they actually now have a complete picture. So Historically, they may have only taken a picture of the damage uh, when it was spotted. They are, have never uh, surveyed everything, you know, top to bottom, every square inch, and tracked that over time. And now they can actually go back in time and, and look at the complete history of the asset. And so it's really the ability to do repeatable, measurable inspections that is the largest value. And now they're, they're actually able to get better data than they've ever had before and start to see defects far sooner. So they can actually make repair decisions before they propagate and, and potentially become catastrophic. Having been out in the fields and really been able to watch a lot of this firsthand, uh, can you tell me about a specific time when the predictive analytics and, and maintenance data that you were able to provide somebody really saved them a real headache or a bunch of money? We've had some customers that suspected some uh, manufacturing defects. And you know, a lot of time, the owners will hire us for end-of-warranty inspections so that we can actually identify those manufacturing defects before their warranties expire. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, a failure is completely on their hands instead of the manufacturers. Um, so that's one instance where getting that data timely and you know, really as close to the uh, end of the warranty period as possible is really valuable to the wind farm owners. You know, we've had many cases where 
these defects were not previously spotted, and it ended up saving them a large headache down the road uh, by noticing them early. I can only imagine. So over time then, how do you see your technology changing the utility industry and the equipment that utility companies deploy in the field? Because, of course, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, just inspecting this sort of infrastructure equipment and, uh, and keeping it running. Uh, how do you see your company and companies like yours having an impact on it? You know, robotics in general is going to have a large impact on uh, operations and maintenance in any industry. Uh, the ability to monitor at a very high frequency your assets so you can see failures before they happen is, is really going to bring you know, optimization methods into these uh, industries like we've never seen before. It's uh, being able to get this data without deploying humans, get data that's actually measurable and trackable as opposed to just uh, you know, someone in the field that might have been doing it for 20 years and, and maybe they've got a really good sense for something, but it's you know, just a human looking at it doesn't allow a computer to process that data and, and uh, gather deeper insights. And so I see, you know, across the board, robotics to be helping uh, all of these industries. I, I really think we're only at the, the very beginning. Um, it's really even hard to predict, you know, how automated you know, all the operations and maintenance is going to be to the point where someday I expect, uh, you know, repairs to be done in many industries by robots. So I'm glad that you brought that up because that actually brings up a really important topic to a lot of our listeners who are the manufacturers of a lot of this equipment. And that is, with any new technology that comes along, there's usually some kind of pushback against it. And it's rooted in a fear that it's going to take long-established industry jobs. But when we met at AEM's IQ trade show, and, and uh, you spoke on a panel that we hosted, you outlined the reasons why you don't believe that that's the case here. And I think that those are worth repeating. What does this technology mean for jobs in the field of utilities? Yeah, I would say while it might eliminate some types of jobs, it will actually uh, you know, create more jobs in, in other areas. So right now, you know, robots are not doing these repairs, but more repairs done earlier can help uh, on the cost of operations and maintenance in the long term. And I, I know for a fact that, you know, there are not enough wind turbine uh, repair technicians in the world, that, uh, you know, wind farms are getting installed at a very rapid rate every year, and, you know, there's a lot of wear and tear, and things do need to be replaced. And the, the more that uh, we identify these, these uh, fixes early, the more we'll have to be sending people around the world, you know, very rapidly to fix them. Uh, I think the same is true in, in, you know, any infrastructure, specifically energy infrastructure, is that, you know, as our population is growing and our need for energy is growing, um, it, it's not slowing down that we need to install more energy assets, and they will need to be, you know, maintained. Um, the robots will help monitor them right now, but uh, the maintenance is still going to have to be done by humans, and I think there's a large opportunity there. Uh, but even talking to people in the field about the inspection side of it, uh, you know, one of the most frustrating parts about inspection is how mundane it can be until you actually find a problem. And so we're really trying to take some of that mundaneness out of, you know, when there are no problems, but you still want to keep an eye on it. You know, humans doing repetitive tasks like that can very easily start to miss stuff because they've been doing it for so long, and, and it can become, you know, to, tedious to the point where they they'd actually don't see the faults. Uh, but the people in these career fields, you know, they, they absolutely love going out and doing the repairs. And so I, I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity for repair work and more maintenance work, um, even though robots will actually be doing the, the monitoring. We're talking with Danny Ellis, the CEO of Sky Specs. That's a company out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, that inspects utility infrastructure out in the field via autonomous drones. 
And this notion that your systems are almost completely autonomous is fascinating to me because it takes the human error element completely out of the equation. And especially with how expensive your equipment probably is, I imagine that's somewhat of a relief to you as well because a sudden sneeze while you're piloting it over a field won't send your top-of-the-line rig crashing to the ground. But what did it take to get us to this point where the tech is so good that you can just sort of stand back and let it do the work? You know, my core team has been working in autonomous drones for over nine years and, uh, you know, started at, at university research and then, you know, grew as we launched the company. So it's it's really not any one thing. It's uh, it's really just a long time of learning about automated systems and sensors and how we can fuse those sensors with the, you know an aerial platform to perform intelligent tasks. Now, autonomy in all industries has benefited from the fact that sensors and circuits are becoming cheaper and smaller and more uh, much more support and community for how to use them. So that I mean that's happening across the board. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to keep seeing more and more automated robots out there in, in any industry uh, because you're, you're seeing kids in middle school learning how to do this stuff on like a Raspberry Pi. And uh, the more and more that that grows, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be easier to automate whatever you want. And this is very much, of course, a rapidly growing area of interest here in the heavy equipment sector as well. And most folks will tell you that the best is yet to come for this sort of technology. But how much further would you say the programming and the hardware have to come before we reach peak autonomy, so to speak? I don't know if you ever will. I think that there's always striving for something better. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to reach um, acceptable autonomy in, in multiple industries at various times. You know, acceptable autonomy in our industry versus cars are dramatically different statements. Um, so I think it's going to kind of be a, a moving target at all times. And every step of the way, you're going to want something that is, is more repeatable, more reliable, more redundant. Um, I'm not sure that there is going to be a, a peak, you know, per se. Well, then, fair enough, but what would you say that acceptable autonomy will look like? Yeah, another great philosophical question that a lot of people are debating constantly. We're going off um, the deep end into science fiction territory yeah, we, we here really, now. But. we really are here. <laughs> it, it really depends on the application. Um, for something like us, you know, I would say we're, we're at that point where it is acceptable um, because we're able to actually perform the tasks better than they were performed before. But in every industry, you know, it's good that target's going to be a little bit different. Now, that's not to say that there's not a lot more we can do to make it better, um, but it, it is something that is commercial and, and uh, you know, it's very repeatable. Um, once you're interacting more with humans, uh, I think that target is many more years down the road. Um, you know, so, for instance, going back to autonomous cars or, or even, you know, uh, large um, assets that are interacting with people, I think it's going to be far longer than, than a lot of the uh, uh, experts are claiming out there right now. I, I would say decades. I would say it'll probably be when we reach the point when the computers are sitting around having the artificial intelligence trolley debate. That's when we know that we've reached peak autonomy. <laughs> but All this, of course, is worth examining in the context of just how far the technology has come. You've been working with drones for 10 years now, ever since your days as a grad student at the University of Michigan. What were unmanned aerial systems like back then, and how do they stack up to today's models of drones? Yeah, back then, um, an unmanned aerial system was really only known in the military. Um, you know, they were large, they were expensive, they were funded by the Department of Defense, and it wasn't until 
you know, really around 2007, and then we started working with them in 2009, that, uh, you know, sensors and components were cheap enough that, you know, students could actually get their hands on them. Everything was very unreliable at that point. Um, there were really no standards in the industry. Everyone was kind of just trying their own thing. And then, you know, around the 2013 timeframe, you know, DJI was launching a lot of their products and uh, things were becoming standardized. And, uh, you know, that helped as a community of support. You know, if, if someone was trying to solve a problem that, uh, you know, others had solved hundreds of times already, uh, they could find that answer and then go on to solve the, you know, the next hardest problem. And, uh, you know, but back to when this all started, that, that looked very different than it does today. In a way, you had the historic pleasure, I would imagine, of working in the Wild West of drone technology. But like the drones themselves, the regulations governing them have evolved over the years. Uh, you told a story at IQ about how you had to kind of get creative to do the research in the early years. How did that go again? Yeah, so in the very early days, this was back when we were still students in grad school, the regulations allowed for kites and powered kites, but they did not allow for drones. And so a powered kite, you know, something that's attached to a tether that is less than a thousand feet was kind of in the gray area that was still, uh, you know, reasonable to do. So we used to test outdoors tied to a rope so that it couldn't fly away, uh, but yet we could still do our testing. So they ended up getting rid of that regulation. They saw the loophole and, and you know, closed it a few years later. But uh, at least in the early days, we, we were able to do that. That much said, we've come a long way as far as regulation of this technology goes to the point where it's not so much hindering development anymore and hindering innovation. Uh, you don't have to tie a string to your drones anymore. What does the current regulatory environment mean for the future of drone technology? The current regulatory environment at least allows for a path for people to get you know, certification. Instead of requiring a, a pilot's license, which is how it used to be, you know, you'd have to be trained to fly an airplane in order to fly a drone. There is now what they call Part 107, which is a drone certification program. And I'm very much in favor for uh, certification and, and regulation around this, as long as there is a path for us to operate. Uh, so right now, you know, as long as you've got that clearance and you're operating in the right airspace, you can pretty much do what you want. Um, now, operating outside of the, uh, the current airspace, which is usually, um, you know, sparsely populated areas below 400 feet, um, but if you want to operate over people's heads or operate above 400 feet, there are other methods and other procedures to go through. It's still feasible. Um, it just requires a lot more time and effort uh, to actually get that cleared. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased to see that there is a process because I know in the early days we didn't really have a process. There was, there was really no way to go about it other than um, filing the drone as an experimental aircraft, uh, which is what we had to do the first time around. We actually had to get a real tail number. Uh, as if it were an experimental <laughs> manned aircraft. Um, and so thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. Are the regulations where they need to be, or is there still progress that you'd like to see made? I think there's always progress still to be made. Um, but I think for the most part, it allows for people to be experimental, and it allows for industries to start to thrive using aerial robotics. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll always see it changing over time. Mm -hmm. What other factors are still hindering the development of this drone technology, and, and what's going to be the next big breakthrough? I think there's a lot to come. I know flight time is a big issue for many people, and for a lot of applications, flight time is a hindrance. Um, you know, right now, the, you know, the average flight time of most drones is like 25 minutes. There are some that are up to 45 or an hour. There are some hybrids that are going for a few hours, or they're actually gasoline-powered, two electric motors. 
Um, but it's it's really the ability to stay in the air longer that uh, will prevent certain applications for quite some time. Now, whether that's a, a battery um, solution or whether that is, uh, you know, operational with, with uh, mobile charging pads or uh, vehicles that can fly fixed wing, you know, for long durations of time, but then they can actually take off and land vertically. There, there's a lot of proposed solutions out there, but I would say that's a, a big hindrance for multiple applications. For us, it's no big deal right now, uh, but, you know, for other things that are much longer distances, it still is a problem. How would the development of mobile charging pads really affect the utility industry? I think this is a really interesting topic. Yeah, I mean, it's not one I personally believe in. Um, but, you know, people are talking about having the ability to have a, a docking station that a drone could land and, and recharge. The reason I don't really believe in it is because the charging time takes so long, um, you know, many hours for uh, 25 minutes of flight. So for applications where you can sit around and wait that long, that, that might be feasible, but um, I would rather see a way to, to swap batteries and keep going immediately than to sit around and wait, uh, you know, for something to recharge. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. The theory, of course, being that you could send a drone out inspecting a, a hundred mile long set of utility lines or something like that and it would fly a route and then land and recharge or land and swap batteries and then take off and keep on going down that line of infrastructure uh, fully autonomously. Do you think we'll ever get to that point? Probably. I think it'll still be a ways out, but I think it's something that everybody is striving for. Yeah. Many of our listeners are deeply rooted in the heavy equipment manufacturing industry that serves construction, agriculture, and of course the utility sector. Where do you see the future of drone technology and what is it going to mean for those sectors and those manufacturers? One of the next pieces of drone technology that, that I would like to see is actually interaction with the rest of the system. So interaction with ground-based vehicles. If it's in agriculture and it's, it's with you know, the large machinery in, in, a, you know, in a farm, um, actually interacting with it, actually helping stream data and make different decisions and, um, you know, perform various tasks that are in conjunction with you know, a ground-based robot or a sea-based robot. Um, it's really kind of the fusion of all of those uh, areas of, of technology that I, I think is going to be the next step. You know, I don't think that drones by themselves are necessarily a, a, a piece of technology that will stand alone forever. I, I think it's really the full combination, and I think, you know, we're just going to see more and more tasks that people are trying to automate uh, with robotics. Well, you guys at uh, SkySpecs are certainly poised to be on the cutting edge of this uh, going forward, and it's always fascinating to check in with you and, and hear the latest from the field here, uh, to hear that you are growing, that you're adding staff right now, and uh, certainly changing the way that uh, the utility industry does business. Uh, it's uh, great to check in with you, Danny, and we appreciate your taking the time to join us here on AEM's Thinking Forward podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. So that was Danny Ellis, and I cannot talk to Danny and not wonder what it's like to sit in on a meeting with the team at Sky Specs. It just seems like there's so much of that enthusiastic optimism that you get off of young people in a startup environment they know they're pushing the envelope and changing the world, and the sky's the limit. Uh, bad pun, I suppose, in a show about drones. My apologies. Uh, by the way, it's worth noting that not every young person is on the cutting edge of drone technology. When I got to moderate a panel discussion on this topic at IQ last year, I wanted to be able to hang with our experts, including Danny. So I shared a video of one of my first drone flight experiences, uh, the drone was a cheapy Christmas present. It was really windy, and I 
didn't know what I was doing. The results were predictably hilarious, so I'll share a link to the video in the show description if you want a quick laugh. Spoiler alert, it ends two blocks away, on the road, and under a car. And that, I think, is one of the best arguments for companies like SkySpecs to rely so heavily on automation in their technology. By the way, if getting the opportunity to hang with industry pioneers and tech experts is something that appeals to you, you ought to take a look at AEM's lineup of Thinking Forward events for this year. The first of these is on April 3rd at the Carnegie Mellon National Robotics Engineering Center in Pittsburgh, and we're going to be talking about the future of mobility there. The NREC, of course, is the epicenter for autonomous technology, with world-leading expertise in autonomy, sensing, perception, and machine learning, and you can be right there in the thick of it with the AM team. And if that's not cool enough, we're going to be talking about how technology will reshape the industry in Chicago on May 8th building a culture of innovation in Minneapolis on June 5th, and how AI is changing product innovation on August 23rd in San Francisco. Later on in the year, we've also got events in Iowa, Indiana, and North Carolina you're not going to want to miss. It's a great chance to learn about industry-shaping trends and to meet your peers from throughout the industry. And the best part is it's free to AEM members. You can click on over to aem.org think to see the full lineup and to get yourself signed up. I always get a real charge out of meeting our members at these events, so I hope to get the chance to see you at one of these. But for now, that is going to wrap up this edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Again, if you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe or maybe leave a comment in our podcast feed. Follow at AEM Advisor on Twitter for updates as well. And if you've got anything to say to me, anything nice anyway, email me at podcast at AEM.org. The AEM Thinking Forward podcast is brought to you by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Little Glass Men does the music. And for AEM, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.